Good morning, church. That was a beautiful time of worship in song and praise. And uh, it just, it reminds me of the omnipresence of God. And the aware, our awareness of God's omnipresence is a beautiful thing because it causes conviction, but that conviction leads us to repentance and life in Christ again. So it's a beautiful thing, right? Because we can't, we can't escape God's presence. <laughs> you know, we may try. He knows what's going on in, in the dark alleys. He knows what's going on in every nook and cranny of the world. And so our awareness of, of being in God's presence, that's a beautiful thing. You know, we, um, we don't even have to say Lord, as I come before your presence, I get it. It's an it's a, it's a act of reverence, and we are to be reverent to our God. But the fact is, we're always in his presence. So our countenance and how we act and how we conduct ourselves in this building, it should be that way when we're alone surfing the net or when we're doing business dealings or when we're you know, disciplining our children or dealing with our spouse or dealing with the person that uh, we don't necessarily get along with, right? That, that countenance, that, that integrity, that way that we live, it should reflect that, the character of Christ in all things. Amen? All right. This morning we are going to be in Acts chapter 25. We'll be wrapping up this chapter this morning. Um, and so I'm excited just uh, what the Lord is going to do as He speaks to us through His Word. And again, how applicable uh, this portion of Scripture is to our present day. It's kind of almost even piggybacking off of uh, the, the message that was shared through Daniel last week about uh, just rule God's way and how uh, the justice should reflect God's own righteousness. So with that, uh, please turn to Acts chapter 25. And when you get there, um, we'll go ahead and read and pray. We'll be starting in uh, verse 13. I'll read down to about 19. I'm not, not going to read the whole portion of Scripture uh, right now. We'll cover it in the message. But when you get there, please go ahead and stand. Uh, Acts chapter 25, starting in verse 13. And it says, Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. That is very harsh. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. Verse 17. So when they had come together, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, thank you again for just this opportunity to crack open your word and to glean from your truth. 
Lord, would you show us now how this applies to our lives, how it's relevant to our day and age today, how this applies to us personally and our responsibility as Christian Christians to walk in light of the truth that we know in you. So, Father, may you bless this time. We thank you and love you. It's in Jesus Christ's wonderful name that we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. I've entitled this message, Humility Precedes Exaltation. All that is meaning to say is, as you humble yourself, it produces in you the ability to be lifted up by the Lord as He sees fit. Your humility, the level of humility that is produced in your life will elevate you in the Lord's economy. But see, it doesn't look like how the world elevates people. We know Jesus came to serve, not to be served. You see, so we have to understand the proper context of what it means to be elevated in Christ's economy. It means actually to be lowered down as a servant, to be a servant with a good heart, not serving begrudgingly, not serving because you have to. There's nothing worse than someone doing something just because they have to, but spite is in their heart. Their attitude is crusty. They don't have a goodness. They don't have a love in them. It's just, I have to do this. I have to do this. Don't parent your children because you have to. It's a blessing and a gift to parent them. That's 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 something personal that I'm going through. I'm understanding it is such a blessing. I've been blessed with two little children. I didn't think I'd ever even be married, let alone be married and have two children such a blessing that they are even when they drive me up the wall i have to understand i am a servant and i am to serve in dignity and honor and respect well today we're picking back up in chapter 25 of the book of acts so far every roman leader that paul has come before has been stumped by the accusations brought against him first there was felix Don't get in an accident. And Felix was an unrighteous ruler. He looked to be paid off by Paul in order to be set free. That was Felix's whole deal. And then when the sun set on his reign, we were introduced to Festus. And Festus, he as well had a difficult time assessing what was going on between Paul and the religious leaders of the Jews. He he. He, he didn't understand what was going on with these accusations brought against Paul. He was unable to outright acquit Paul, even though Festus could find no credible evidence against him. So he turned to a greater authority within the Roman Empire to bring his case before. He wanted to bring it before Caesar, but he couldn't just send him to Caesar and say, I don't know what's going on with this guy, Paul. I have no understanding of what's going on. So he he had to bring him before someone else first, a lower person, but someone higher than him in the totem pole of the Roman Empire. And this is where uh, King Agrippa comes into play and we'll we'll be introduced to him and what his role in in Paul's case is going to be. We're going to be introduced to King Agrippa and his sister Bernice this morning. Through it all, we will see how Paul continued 
to humble himself before God. And God exalted him, but not in the way that the world would define being exalted or being lifted up. In God's economy, the greatest shall serve, not esteem themselves to be served, right? Um, some of you probably remember, this is before my time, so it's kind of funny that I'm up here saying this, but shoe shiners, right? Shoe shiners, they'd have a, they'd be up on a platform kind of like, and they'd be sitting down in a nice comfortable chair, and their feet would be up, and someone would be shining shoes, making sure the leather gets nice and shiny, kind of like this patent leather on my shoe, my tennis shoe that I'm wearing. It's shiny. You want to see your reflection in it. Well, that's the, the way the world would look at being exalted. Let me sit in the chair while someone else is on their hands and knees shining my shoes. Well, that's not the way it works in God's economy. It's the other way around. You're actually exalted when you're the one doing the shining, getting calluses on your knees as you sit there shining someone else's shoes, as the sweat is pouring down your face. You're exerting effort to please someone else, but to do it for free. <laughs> Not because you're going to walk home with a lump sum of money in your pocket, because you're doing it out of the goodness of what God has done to you, and that translates to someone else, right? When we have ill motives, Many times money's involved. Well, pay me and I'll do a good job. I get it. If, if it's business and you have a business transaction, that's fine, right? We, we, we need certain things like that to operate in. But I'm talking about when it's, it's the Lord moving you to do something. Money should not be a means of why you do something. It should be what the Lord has put upon your heart. Now, if he wants to bless you with a sum of money, that's a whole other story. Humility is the name of the game. There are several main points that we'll focus on this morning. And the first one is this. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, no one can judge from the righteous perspective of God. So far, we have seen two Roman leaders who were given authority to judge but they were unable to do so in a righteous manner. Neither did Felix nor Festus have the Holy Spirit living within them, so they judged from their own carnality, from the standpoint of their flesh, from their human perspective. They were blind to the spiritual truths being set before them when Paul would speak. John Chapter 7, verse 24 tells us, Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. Look beneath. What does that mean? You know, my son would be like, What do you mean, look beneath? I don't see anything. It's the next page. <laughs> there's, a, there's a next line. I don't get it. Sometimes we're like that. And we, we don't understand what the Scripture is pointing out to us. You see... These Roman leaders were incapable of seeing beneath the surface of the accusations set against Paul because they were judging from the world's vantage point, from the world's perspective. And because they were looking through the wrong set of lenses, they could not judge correctly. But as we learned last week, again, alluding to the message that was uh, 
brought through uh, Daniel. You can judge righteously if you are submissive to the authority of the Holy Spirit in your life. Man, that submissiveness to the Lord gives clarity to everything. (laughs) Maybe some things the Lord will not reveal to you, but the things that He wants you to understand crystal clear, when you submit your life before Him and say, Lord, Your will, not mine, be done, you can take that to the bank. You're going to have clarity. There's going to be certain things without a doubt, (laughs) are crystal clear. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. You know the stance you need to take in the situation according to the will of God, according to His Word. And that's a beautiful thing. That's something that we need to hold on to, especially when we live in a day and age where anything goes. We're in a day and age right now where everybody's offended. Man, everybody's offended. Everybody is so offended and they're playing this race card and they want to get rid of police and do this and that. Do you understand? We need these things in place for this country to function properly. You get rid of the police. Oh, you better watch out. Everybody better get a a shotgun because it is going to be the Wild West all all over this place. It's already a mess. But you take away the police, full on chaos is going to ensue. But everybody's offended. And everybody's trying to get back at somebody. I'm going to take you to court. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to take the law into my own hands. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Everybody's offended. Oh, I can't say nothing. Because I'm going to offend you. Oh, oh, you, you you need to get a little tough skin. You're so offended by my opinion or my viewpoint. And this whole, we all got to coexist and live. We're already coexisting. We're coexisting. You know, but now they want to throw out principles, fundamental truths to where there's no longer truth. It's whatever it is. It's okay. Not a good thing. But as the church, we will continue to stand upon the rock of Jesus Christ and be a representative of a beacon of hope for people that are looking for truth, looking for some kind of security in a world that's going topsy-turvy and everything is always changing. The church should mature, but not evolve in the sense of we're leaving principles behind of biblical teaching, but we should be able to adapt to the times, meaning cater to people, but bring the same message of truth to them. Amen? That's where we're at as the church. That's where we're at as the church. The second main point is this. Although the righteous in this life will receive unfair judgment from this world, they will be given, or I should say us, we shall be given the opportunity to witness to those who we would not normally have the chance to speak with. The reality is this. As a Christian, you're going to be judged unfairly. If that's new to you, let me be the one to break it to you sweetly, hopefully. (laughs) But the reality is, you're going to be treated unfairly. That's the reality of this life. Not everybody's going to side with you in your personal beliefs, in your spiritual beliefs. 
and how you think the world should operate and how you think things should be conducted because they're in opposition to God. If they're in opposition to God, they're going to be in opposition to you. Some may be very sly about it. Some may be very respectful about it. Some may be downright obnoxious about it. But either way, you will face unfair judgment from this world. You see, Paul was judged falsely first by the Jewish religious leaders. That's what got him in the whole mess. They hated it. They could not stand him speaking the truth of Jesus Christ because it threatened everything that they prided themselves on. Their their authority, their position of power, their position of influence. They wanted him, as Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank would say, crushed like the cockroach that he was. That's what they wanted to do to Paul. They wanted to squash him like a cockroach. Let all the eggs fly everywhere and the nastiness. Get rid of him. You're done. That's what they wanted. He was judged falsely by the Jewish religious leaders. And then by the Roman governors and soon to be the king, a Roman king. But the Lord God had a glorious plan despite all of this unfair treatment that Paul would receive. You see, Paul had the opportunity to share the gospel with people who he would have normally never come in contact with if this unfair treatment did not occur. And this is the beautiful thing of the sovereignty of God and His providential hand over people's lives, is that even in the midst of difficult, bad situations, what happens? He makes it all work out for good. For the good of those who love the Lord. Even though there's pain and difficulty, there will be joy in the morning. That's that's kind of a small little excerpt of that, but the reality is, when you honor God with your life, even though you go through difficult, dark times, through it all, He's going to interweave everything for it to work out for your benefit and for His glory. The problem arises when we're in the midst of it and we just flounder and give up because it's so difficult. I'm not saying it's not going to be painful. I'm not saying, I'm not even saying that no one else is even going to be able to identify truly with what you're going through but you. Because that probably is going to be the case many a times. That's why they say when someone dies, it's just there. And maybe if they want a hug, you give them a hug. Give them a hug. But you don't go running your mouth talking all this, you know, shooting scriptures in their ears. It's like, they don't need to hear that, dude. You, don't even, you can't even relate to what they're going through because someone close to them just died. You just are there as a comfort, as a person, as a sounding board. And that in itself, your presence next to that person or there, just, or, you know, just the fact that you're, you're, you're open to them, to, to being there. That means the world to people. And, and one day they, they'll share how much they appreciate that. But that's, a, that's the truth. That difficult times will come, but through it all, you will benefit from it and the Lord will be glorified in it all. Being that we are all created in God's image, that means His desire is that none perish, but that all come to salvation in Jesus Christ through the means of repentance. That is why these rulers of great importance in the world had Paul set before them to judge his case so they could hear the message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was really what it was all about. That was God's plan. These religious leaders and these Roman officials who were esteemed, let them hear the message of the cross as well. And it came in the means 
of a prisoner being brought before them so he could speak and share the truth of who Jesus Christ was and is today. The third main point is this. Those who humble themselves before God will one day see the righteous judge and rule of Jesus Christ for a thousand years. This is before we are in heaven, the new heaven, the new earth for eternity. Also known as the millennial, millennium kingdom. Excuse me. All believers will witness Jesus' righteous reign over the earth. James chapter 4 verse 10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. What better way to be exalted than to be invited by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to be a part of Jesus' millennium kingdom. (laughs) There, I got it out. (laughs) And then be allowed access into His eternal kingdom forever. You see, the way things are right now will not always be so. This is why it is so important that daily, while you and I are alive, we are to get the truth out to those around us as Paul did. You see, because one day the scrolls will be rolled up and the curtain will close on this life. There will be no encore. What has been done will have been done. There will be a finality to this life as we know it. But for all those who are willing to submit their lives in obedience to the rule of Jesus Christ, they will be welcome to experience this thousand years of Jesus reigning on the earth before it is utterly destroyed and a final righteous judgment will be executed. You see, Paul understood this and that is why there was such an urgency every time he was given the opportunity to share the gospel because he saw the bigger picture. He had an eternal perspective. He wasn't just looking to next week when I get to go and you know take a vacation and go hang out. He wasn't looking nearsighted. He was looking at the bigger picture. By the way, I'm not going on no vacation next week. I am going to Santa Cruz with my wife and my kids tomorrow so that's kind of cool but uh i'm not going on no vacation (laughs) may we take this same approach not wasting a day but take advantage of the time that we are given amen all right let's go ahead and begin to look at these uh verses so verse 13 and 14 this is just kind of a little beef brief excuse me background on these new characters so it says now when some days had passed Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus and as they stayed there many days Festus laid Paul's case before the king saying this is a man left prisoner by Felix okay so we've already learned of Felix and Drusilla and Festus. These are the characters that we've already learned about several weeks back. And now we're introduced to King Agrippa and Bernice. So again, it serves us well to just get a little bit of background, not to go too in depth, but to get a little bit of background on these characters and who they are, because it sets the tone of what's going on so you can follow in what is happening in this situation. So King Agrippa was formerly known as Herod Agrippa II. His birth name was Marcus Julius Agrippa. He was actually half Jewish. So he wasn't fully a full Roman. He was half Jewish. Agrippa's father was King Herod Agrippa 
the first, this was the Herod who executed James and had Paul in prison. So this kind of gives you an idea of what his family background, what his upbringing was like. He, he is also the Herod who got struck down by God, eaten by worms for stealing God's glory as we read in Acts chapter 12. Agrippa's great grandpappy was Herod the Great who was in power when Jesus was born. We all know this account, right? He was so paranoid. He had every male child under two murdered. Kill them all because they're threatening my throne. I cannot have a threat to my authority. Again, we, we see this. People in authority, and we even see it today, right? People in authority, man, they will stop at nothing to keep the authority. Man, if I have to squash you and eradicate you, so I can be in power. I will do whatever I need to do to stay in power. Nothing new under the sun. I don't know. I guess it's just man in our sense of control, right? We, we, excuse me, we got to have this control. And when it's tested, we start just getting real weird about it. And we just start getting anxious. And <laughs> I mean, having every baby killed, that's, that's a bit harsh. I mean, it's, I guess it's... Uh, Plant parent-esque a little bit, you know? <laughs> Let's just kill these babies and call it a woman's choice. I'm not getting political. I'm just stating what I believe is true. This man came from <clears throat> a very treacherous family line. Agrippa, Agrippa's granduncle was the Herod who had John the Baptist killed. Remember, he had some weird kinky fetish with the daughter and wanted to have her dance. And she said, he said, well, I'll give you whatever you want. Mama said, ask for John the Baptist's head. And so it was on a platter, his head on a plate. Because of this, again, you just get a sense that it would take a strong pull for this man to be moved from this kind of sinister lifestyle into the light. God was willing to take that chance and at least offer him that. And it came in the vessel of Paul. Because Agrippa was half Jewish, the, the Romans considered Agrippa II to be a, a perfect blend of the Roman patriot and an expert in Jewish issues. And this is kind of why he was seated where he was as, as an authority. They entrusted Agrippa with uh, to serve as the curator, if, if you will, of, of the Jewish temple. And, and he was granted the power to appoint the high priest and to administer the temple treasury. So that's his kind of role in the government providence where he was at. Now, it's important to note that this Agrippa, he had three sisters. We already met uh, Drusilla several weeks ago. I'm not going to talk about the other one. I'll talk about the one who is present now. And this is Bernice this was Agrippa's oldest sister. Now, I'm not going to go into all the, the, the backstory of what could have possibly been between the two. You can read that on your own time. But that's, uh, you know, just to say every family got its own fair share of issues. And these ones obviously did as well. She was uh, one year younger than Agrippa. And she is the one mentioned here in Acts chapter 25 who accompanies King Agrippa on his visit to Caesarea. So we see that Festus had laid out Paul's case before this king. He laid it out. Festus, new to his post, probably was unfamiliar with Jewish traditions and customs. And he, again, was confused by Paul's case. So he needed help. 
he needed help. And so he reached out to a higher authority within the chain of command to get that help. Even though there was no evidence to convict Paul, his investigation continued. He didn't acquit him. He didn't acquit him. And that's, again, about the righteous judgment. He was unable to administer righteous judgment because he didn't have the Holy Spirit living in him. So he was looking through human eyes, and he's like, I I need need more help. I need more help. Send someone in a higher position. Maybe he'll figure it out. And that's where our, 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 our new acquaintance, Agrippa, comes into play. This appearance before King Agrippa was really a hearing and not a trial because Agrippa did not have the jurisdiction in the matter, yet he could have an important influence upon Festus and what Festus' decision was. So that's kind of what's going on there. Okay, as we move on, we're going to go down from verses uh, 15 down to 22, and it says, and, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. Speaking of Paul, I answered them that it was not custom of the Romans to give up Anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid out against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay. But on the next day, I took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss of how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Verse 22, and it says, Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you will hear him. Okay. So Festus begins explaining this whole situation, how it all breaks down to Agrippa. He starts off by telling him that the religious leaders asked for a judgment against Paul. The religious leaders hoped that Festus would decide against Paul without even hearing Paul's defense. But you see... Then Festus appealed to the strong tradition and system of law. He would not condemn Paul without a fair trial. He wanted Paul to have his peace. Though Festus was unwilling to convict Paul without a fair trial, he still did not understand for the life of him what was going on. He was surprised, thinking that these accusations against Paul were unimportant. Their accusations focused on the matter of religion and of this man named Jesus who died. And then Paul said, but he's alive. He has risen from the dead. This is very important because this plays into how blind this Roman leader was. And just as bad as his blindness was what these religious leaders were seeking for Paul. The the text says that they were seeking a sentence of condemnation against Paul. So if you know anything about condemnation, you know, I think someone said it earlier when the scriptures was first read, that that's not a good thing. That was bad. Condemnation like that, this was not something that was from the Lord. This was something that was from Satan. 
This is what Satan wanted to do to Paul. He wanted condemnation to fall upon him and he wanted him eradicated. You see, conviction comes from God. Conviction is a beautiful thing. It may be painful in the moment. Our pride may say, no, I'm okay. (laughs) I don't need to be convicted. I don't want to feel bad. But it's that conviction, again, as I alluded to at the beginning of the message, the omnipresence of God. When we have an awareness, God is everywhere. It's like, I better change this channel. I better press the guide. Because, Lord, you don't want me looking at that. That's not edifying for my soul. Or do we think, oh, God, you're not here in my living room. You're only there in the church building. Come on now. Or you're only around when my kids are around. Really? Keep it real. (laughs) When you're at the dinner table and some ungodly thought comes popping in your head, God's there. And he's waiting to see, are you going to entertain that nasty thought? Or are you going to rebuke it in Jesus' name? Now, you don't got to go saying rebuke in Jesus' name all out loud. But you know what you need to do. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. You know exactly what you need to do every moment of every second of the day. We can never fake it. <laughs> Trying to say, I didn't know. No, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you know. We all know. All that to be said, conviction comes from God, not condemnation. You know, the condemnation is when you're getting beat down. You're hearing those voices and they're saying all kind of not good stuff. And bringing up your past in a way where it's not edifying. That's not God. That's condemnation. So for the fact that we see this word in this statement, that they were seeking a sentence of condemnation against Paul, that's a very bad thing that they were doing. They were being vehicles for Satan to be used against Paul. The religious leaders, you see, they were seeking man's revenge. Not God's justice. And this again shows us that, man, you could be in the pulpit and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) You could be ungodly and be considered a religious leader. Because if it happened back then, it can happen today. It can. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to be led by the Holy Spirit. We have to allow His guidance to take precedence over what we want to do. That's just the truth. Because these men were seeking man's revenge, not God's justice. And it was very silly for these religious leaders to protest, thinking that Festus actually was going to stop Paul from talking about the risen Jesus Christ, hoping that this governor would make Paul stop. Again, they're looking through man's eyes. Is man going to make this person do this? They failed to understand Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. So... He was willing to be in opposition to them if the Holy Spirit had laid it upon his heart to do something. It didn't matter who he had to offend. He was willing to do it because he'd rather be obedient to his Lord than be buddy-buddy with everybody else just to appease him. And that's the stance we need to take. We don't lord it over people. We don't throw it in people's face. But you should want to be obedient to the Lord over being at peace with everybody else. It doesn't make sense. What is it going to gain you to be cool with everybody else and not ruffle any feathers and not, not, you know, not do what the Lord says, but yet, oh, oh, it's calm. It's peace. We're all tranquil. What if the Lord is trying to stir something up? What if the Lord is trying to wake people up in a way that may seem unconventional, but it's yet the Lord moving? 
This is what we see happening right here in our text. And the Lord had already decreed that Paul would go before rulers and kings professing Jesus Christ and him crucified. The words a certain Jesus show that Festus didn't know much about Jesus Christ. It is a good reminder for us that the great importance for people of Paul's day and ours today, they may not know much about Jesus Christ. People may say that, because people say it all the time, oh yeah, Jesus, yeah, you know, Easter, cross, resurrection. But it's like, do we really grasp what that means? Do we really understand the depth of what that means? Do we understand that the penalty is death for us? You see, if we really understood what the cross meant, then when you hear resurrection, your sins pardoned, you would be elated. You see, again, the omnipresence of God shows you conviction and it shows you how wretched your life was before you knew him. Shows you how not good your lifestyle was and how you were dead in sin and trespasses. That's why it's so important to have that awareness of God. And he comes, that still small voice, but you see, the cares of this world, the things of this world, our own desires can easily drown out that calm voice if you're not attentive. Next, the text says that Paul made it clear to Festus that it was a certain Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Messiah who had died, who Paul, excuse me, who Paul affirmed to believe. Paul emphasized the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He emphasized the cross. You see, it's very hard to believe that Festus did not know that Paul preached that Jesus died without him also hearing of who Jesus was. He would have known who Jesus was. The buzz was the buzz was popping. Jesus was all over the place, right? Healing, miracles, fish, loaves of bread. I mean, deaf people hearing, blind people seeing. He knew. He knew, but again, spiritually blind. He didn't take into consideration these things. He thought they were tall tales or myths or wives' tales. But in reality, this was reality. This was the truth of what was going on, but he was blind to see it, failed to see it. The application is this. Two important points come from this whole statement that Paul just made. The first is this. The gospel shared without mention of the cross and Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is not the gospel at all. It is a false doctrine. It is something that is not correct. We need to make sure, first and foremost, that we are not deceived in what we believe, right? Because there's a lot of deception that comes in and Satan always tries to creep in. He tries to creep into churches that are healthy and strong and are growing. He'll use many different methods. Remember, he's an angel of light. So these, these methods come in deceptive ways where you don't even think nothing of it. But if you're not paying close enough attention, it could be the enemy. That's why we always say, don't follow me you better see what's in the scripture. Let the Holy Spirit confirm it in your own spirit. <laughs> right? We don't ever want to lead people astray. You don't follow a man. You never follow a man. All a man is is a vehicle to be used. 
But you can confirm these things with the Holy Spirit living within you if you're willing to do the work. You see, a lot of people are just lazy. They're lazy. And I won't say using a cell phone is lazy. I'll just say if you don't even use nothing, you're lazy. You better at least have a cell phone with the Bible on it. I mean, it's free. iOS and Android. You ain't got to pay no money. Well, I guess you got to pay money if you have a cell phone. Make sure your cell phone bill's paid and you can get it. But what I'm trying to say is fact check. Be like the Bereans. But this is important. Make sure we're not deceived. Then we must make sure that we share the message of Jesus Christ accurately. Not watering down the truth in order not to offend people. You see, that's another thing that's going on today. Nobody wants to offend anybody. Everybody's afraid of offending somebody. I can't say nothing because I don't want to offend anybody. Well, then what is your word worth? It ain't worth nothing. If a parent is unwilling to tell the truth to their child, even though their child may be offensive, because that's what's going on. Little Jimmy won't be quiet, won't stop acting up unless mommy or daddy buy him this or that. So now what you're making, you're teaching this kid that all I got to do is cause a ruckus and you're going to give in to me and I'm going to get what I want. Well, you know what? I'm sorry, little Jimmy, but sometimes you just can't have what you want and you have to understand you have to be responsible for your actions. So no, not right now. You're not getting dessert tonight. You're not getting that toy at Target. It's just not happening because we have to set parameters we have to set boundaries i have to be willing to offend you in the near time right here in the present so that in the long run you can grow up and be respectable and a commendable person understanding responsibility and boundaries but we don't do that because oh i'm tired i worked a long day man everybody's got it rough everybody's got something they're going through if you love that child enough you're gonna love them enough to tell them the truth if you love that family member enough, you're going to love them enough to tell the truth. You're not just going to walk away because you don't want to deal with it. But we see it happening. And unfortunately, we see it happening within the church. Pastors, leaders, members of the church don't care enough about each other to tell each other the truth. Because they don't want to offend one another. The Bible is clear. The message of the cross is offensive to those who are perishing. If you just look through the Bible, Jesus offended many people. And I'm not speaking out of anger. I'm talking about the reality of this truth that the word of God is offensive. For example, Jesus offended the Pharisees. We know. (laughs) They didn't want to hear this truth because it, it would make them have to shift their whole situation and submit and change. He offended those in his hometown. They're like... Dude, who are you, bro? Aren't you, aren't you that Jesus kid? <laughs> what? No, there's no way what you're telling me can be relevant and true. Jesus offended his own family members. Man, isn't that the carpenter's son? <laughs> he, he, don't, he don't got wisdom like that. How are you, how are you talking like that? Where'd you learn that? Nah, man, you're not, you're not, you're not who you, you're not, you're not, you're not that person. I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't regard you in the way that you're, you're, uh, you're, you're showing yourself to be because I just, I, I, I see through human eyes. I only see that you're, you're just this poor kid. You're just a carpenter's son. Jesus offended some of his disciples and closest friends. What we see accounts, man, he gave them the fish. He gave them the bread. He did the miracles, but then he said, this is what it's going to cost you to follow me. What happened? <laughs> gang of people left they're like I, you know what Jesus I mean it's cool to see blind people healed and lame people walk and I like eating the fish because man you you get some good fish but 
I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to pay that cost. <laughs> I don't want to take up my cross and follow you. It, it was so bad. What did he do? He turned to the disciples that we see in the scriptures and he said, you guys too? You guys out? <laughs> That's where our boy Peter, where shall we go? You have the words of truth. That's beautiful, right? That's a beautiful thing. We have to hold on to that, knowing that where, you, where, you got, where else you got to go? What are you going to do? I'm not saying leave this church. I'm talking about leave your relationship with Jesus Christ. What are you going to do? There's nothing else out there in the world for you. You could be as rich as, what is his name? Elon Musk, the owner of Tesla. You could be trying to do stuff on Mars. You think that's going to fulfill your soul? It's not in that. It's not in that. You see, he offended many people. Jesus even offended John the Baptist at one point. John the Baptist was in prison, and he's like, dude, is this the Christ? Is it, and if anybody, John the Baptist, he's the one who saved the Holy Spirit ascend upon him like a dove. He's the one who said, dude, my, I, I can't even take off your, your bootstraps, your sandals, because I'm not worthy. He, of all people, should have known. But in that prison cell, he started to think, what is going on? Even John the Baptist was offended at one point. So you see, this is the reality that the word of God is offensive. Best believe that your obedience to Jesus Christ will cause offense to some. It will. And you have to be willing to allow that offense to occur because you know you're being obedient to God. Again, like I said, you're not being, you're not being radical about it. You're not being a jerk about it. You're not, you're not, you're not trying to push it on people and, and, and flaunt it. But your, your whole heart is, I just want to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And, and, if, and if some don't understand what, 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 I'm, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm doing, then they're not. I mean, I'm sure there's people in your family when you told them, this is the route I'm going to take, they were not cool with it. And it caused division and it caused friction. And people were like, what are you talking about? How can you follow Jesus? You have to be willing to take that chance. Because in the end, the Lord is going to use that and some that were offended, they may come to Jesus and your relationship will be reconciled and restored because you hold no offense against them. You're just like, it is what it is, right? And, 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 and this is where Paul was. He was willing to be offensive to these religious leaders and to these Roman officials because he was not going to renege on what the Lord had shown him. The second thing in this huge statement that Paul makes is this. That no one can judge from a righteous perspective without the Holy Spirit living in them. What is the standard of justice? Is it not made clear by God? He is the only one that can administer justice perfectly, truly, righteously, righteously, excuse me, unequivocal to anything else that someone can do. You see, but naturally, we lean towards our own ideas of right and wrong. And without the framework set up by the Holy Spirit, Festus had no basis to start from concerning the facts of the case between the religious leaders and Paul. All he could do was wonder what this meant. A man named Jesus Christ died and raised from the dead. At this point, it meant nothing to him because he was spiritually blind to the situation. You see, this is essential to point out because no one comes to the Lord on their own. 
Every single person in this room, if you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, he wooed you to himself. He drew you to himself. You did not seek him. I did not seek him. That is not how it works. No one is capable of coming to God without the Holy Spirit drawing him to himself. John chapter 6 verse 44 tells us, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's beautiful. Man, again, your humility to humble yourself and say, I'm going to leave behind my old lifestyle and follow you. I'm leaving behind my identity. I, I lost what I had. I thought I knew who I was. That's not who I was. I'm a child of God. And if that means following you, Lord, I'm going to follow you until the day I die. That's the passion that Paul had in flowing through his veins. Because the Holy Spirit was infusing that within him. Today, you should feel that. It's not emotion. Because the presence of God is with you whether you sense he's there or he's not. But I'm talking about there should be a hunger and a desire within your soul to want to know Jesus more. And if you don't know where to start, just open the Bible and read. And he'll take you on an adventure you'll never forget. That's how you get to know God better. Stay in his word. And then you'll mature to the point where when you pray, sometimes you don't even open your mouth. And God's talking the whole time. Right? Because a lot of times, and I'm a talker. I run my mouth too much. The Lord's like, dude, be quiet, bro. I'm trying to tell you something. I'm trying to put something in your heart. Let me speak now. Because it's a relationship. It goes back and forth. Okay, lastly, in these few verses, we see that King Agrippa stated that he also would like to hear from Paul himself. Agrippa's curiosity meant that Paul would have another opportunity to speak God's truth to a Gentile ruler. This would be the third opportunity for Paul. Felix, Festus, and now Agrippa. This was a fulfillment of prophecy that stated that kings and rulers would hear the message of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. Okay. Moving on, next verse, 23, it says, So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp. Great pomp, 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 great pomp. And they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Got to stand like that, like the guys in, uh, in Europe, what is it, with the, with the big black hat. They can't make any, any movement. I'm just playing. My jokes aren't funny, sorry. <laughs> then at the coming of Festus, Paul was brought in. Okay. When Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp, this was, this was more than a, than a hearing of evidence. It was an event. It was, it, was, it was like a big show that was put on. It was held in an, in an auditorium, and, and all the commanders and the prominent men of the city were there. This was another tremendous opportunity for Paul. Remember, those who humble themselves, they may not be exalted the way the world exalts people, but they're going to be elevated how the Lord sees fit. So at Festus' command, Paul was brought in. Surrounded by all these important and powerful people at Caesarea and beyond, Paul came into this auditorium. All the pomp, 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 and pageantry was meant to communicate who was important. These people were important, or else they wouldn't have all this grandeur around them and all this, all this pizzazz, right? I mean, it was like a, I don't know, it's like a show at Shoreline. They had the lights and the smoke and all that. It was, it was a big deal. But you see, most everyone present, excepting possibly the Apostle Paul, was wrong in their estimation of who was important and who was not. 
Paul had an authority and a dignity greater than any of these important people of this hearing. Yet he didn't flaunt it. He humbled himself like Jesus did. The application is this. God's economy is nothing like the world's economy. You see, in our world, those who exalt themselves are those who are held in positions of high honor and authority. It doesn't matter how they obtained this authority. These positions, many in the world, they covet this. They covet the wealthy, the influential. I want to be like that. That's what we hear a lot of times. People growing up, what do you want to be like? Oh, I want to be like so-and-so. Or nowadays, it's I want to be an influencer. What is an influencer? What is an influencer? I mean, maybe I'm bashing. I mean, I get it. Okay, if people are making a living doing the YouTube thing and your cosmetology's got you influential and you got 2.2 million, I'm not jealous. I mean, maybe I sound jealous. Hopefully, I'm not because I don't sound like that because I'm really not jealous. But it's just interesting to me. You know, I want to be a, I want to be a big YouTuber. My son's like, Ryan's world. I'm like, who is this Ryan kid? Let me see what you're watching, man. And some of that stuff, that Kung Fu Panda guy said, nope, you ain't watching that. I don't like his teeth. You got to pick another one. You're not watching that. Not everything that that kid Ryan says is good for your mind, son. I talked about that last week. You better start your day with Jesus Christ, not Ryan. Ryan's world. Get out of here, man. This kid. But God's economy is so different. It's so different. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Remember, James and John. <laughs> Sons of thunder, dispute. Who's going to be the greatest in heaven? Who's going to be the greatest? What did Jesus say? <laughs> you ready to drink that cup? You think you're ready? You, you want that? Right? You want that? You don't even know what you're asking for. It's all about service, not being served. What great opportunity to learn that than within your own household. Woo. All right, man. This is my first ministry. Boy, I'm cleaning dishes. I'm taking out trash. I'm not looking for, you know, high five, none of that. You know, you just do it. Cleaning diapers. Happy. Happy. <laughs> not all the time. But then that's it. When the conviction comes in, it's like, dude, hey, make sure you're happy. Have a joy about yourself when you do these things because it's a blessing to serve other people. Man, love and enjoy the time you get to serve people in your family because they're not going to be here forever. There's going to come a day when people are going to pass on into eternity and you're going to wish that you would have took more time to serve the people that you say you love. Appreciate the moments that God gives you to be with them and serve them well because in that, you're honoring the Lord and the Lord is smiling upon you when you do things like that. Not begrudgingly, not because you have to, because you're blessed to have the opportunity to do it. And it just, it just brings a joy about in your life. Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 and 27, excuse me, down through 27, say this. It shall not be so among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, in God's economy, he elevates you in responsibility and position, not yourself. You, you don't put yourself there. God does. I did not want to be in this position. 
Trust me, I'm the last person that want to do this. That is not what I want to do. But as he puts you there, then you have a desire to do it, to do it well. But I didn't come seeking this out. I wasn't like, get out of here, dude, so I could be here. Nope, that's not how it worked at all. Want nothing to do with that. But it's the Lord. And this, this exaltation or this exaltion comes through humility and nothing else. You see, when you humble yourself before the mighty hand of God... It truly gives you the proper perspective to see your position, however little or great that it is. You see properly when you're humbled before the Lord. You see, you will recognize that you don't deserve anything that God has given you. But in turn, that realization produces a gratitude for Jesus Christ. And see, that gratitude helps you to not abuse the position of influence that God has given you. Helps you to not abuse it. Because you recognize what you do deserve. And that's death. But man, Jesus, you've given me life. You've given me abundant life. So how do I respond? In humbleness and gratitude to not only him, but to all mankind. As Daniel said last week, we are all created in God's image. When we understand that, your perspective of how people are, Whatever color, shape, disability, wealth, not wealth, you're going to appreciate everybody. You see, this is where Satan fell off. He failed to realize the proper perspective to see life through. Instead of humbly accepting and utilizing the position God allowed him to have, he became discontent, thinking, having more would make him happy. What did he say? I want to be like a God. I want to be like you. I'm not grateful being in this position that you've placed me in. Pride. Pride comes before the fall. You see, if you really think about it, the fact that we are even saved from our sins should be enough in itself to satisfy our desire to be esteemed. Just the fact that you're forgiven eternally, entrusted into the kingdom of God forever. That should be enough. That should be, that should be the Super Bowl trophy of everything. The fact that, man, I'm accepted by you, Lord. To be transferred from death to life is the ultimate position of influence. It is because our perspective is wrong, even within the church. That we seek positions and titles rather than simply seeking to draw closer to Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's all about, Lord, I want to know you more. Lord, change my heart so I can serve people like you. Change my heart so I don't have to live in bitter. Change my heart so I can adore people like you adore them. And see them in the light of how you see. As for Paul's case... He was in a great position of authority in God's army, but he never lorded it over anyone. Instead, he laid down his rights in order to share the message of the gospel even more. Following, obviously, in the footsteps of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus did it better than anyone else. He laid down his rights to serve. All right, these are the last few verses. And Festus said, King Agrippa... And all who are present with us. You see, this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned to me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not live any longer. But I found 
that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. Okay, so this is just the last part. This is kind of a wrap-up of what's been going on here. It was important for Luke to record these words of Festus. They clearly state that Festus understood that Paul was innocent. He knew he was innocent, but Festus wanted to use this trial to prepare some uh, official briefing before he could send him to Caesar. He couldn't just send Paul to Caesar with a letter that said, well, I really don't know what this man is guilty of, so I'm just sending him to you. Because the reality was, that's not the way you go about dealing with Caesar. That could have put Festus's life in jeopardy. He could have been killed for pulling a stunt like that. Again, before another Roman leader, Paul was so innocent that they could not actually describe or specify the charges against him. They couldn't even, they couldn't even say what he actually did. One day, the tables will turn and true righteous judgment will be decreed across the world. Every believer is looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth. But before that happens, we will experience the millennium reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. There will be a time of a thousand years before Jesus Christ will give his final judgment upon humanity and the great tribulation begins. This is a prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled. But when it does happen, we will see creation as it was intended to be, for the most part, that is, in peace. I say that because there will be a time where Satan will be released from being bound when that thousand-year period is up. And those that are still hell-bent on defying God will band together with Satan and they'll try to do a last hurrah and it obviously is going to fizzle out. But there are going to be some that will still choose to disobey and they will perish. As the worship team comes up, the whole point is this. Abusing leadership and corrupting authority will not last forever. But while we are alive experiencing unjust leadership and judgment, we as Christians must do our part to live above reproach and warn others of the judgment to come. We must be willing to stand up for Jesus Christ for our security, for our vindication, no matter what the circumstances look like. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we just thank you for you, Lord. Thank you for your presence in our lives. The fact that we, we know that you exist and we know that you're near. Lord, may you continue to speak to our hearts, Lord, in whatever the manner, whatever the things that are going on in our lives, Lord, where we need your comfort, where we need your hope, where we need your help. Lord, we reach our hands up to you knowing that you've already reached down to us. And we just thank you that we don't have to walk through this life alone, that we have the pre your presence with us in the form of the Holy Spirit. So, Father God, we thank you and we praise you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.